Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Olivia Crummel. Joining me to break down the week in media and marketing is Mumbrella's editor at large, Tim Burrows. Greetings from beautiful Tasmania. Damien Francis. Hey, Liv. Emma Shepherd. Hi. And Callum Juspin. Hey, Liv. You would have heard part of it at the beginning of the episode, and there is more to come. But Mumbrella has a new sonic identity. And today's episode marks the first Mumbrella cast using the new assets. Feedback is, of course, always welcome. And later in the episode, head of content, Damien Francis, will be speaking with the founders of the agency that created the work, Ralph Van Dyke and Ramesh Sathaya, about why creating Mumbrella's new sonic identity was a significant challenge. I think one thing was finding the balance of all the elements and all the, all the pillars of the brand. Uh, and then just defining it down into something very simple and clear that made sense musically. When brands should think about refreshing their audio asset. Every dollar you spend in media is helping to establish and and to be more familiar and to appear, uh, make it easier for the audience to know who's talking to them. And whether brands are taking their sonic identity serious enough. How many brands have, have sonic guidelines? You know, and it's you know, it's a huge part of the the way the brand is portrayed. Um, uh, like, so what music goes on the on the retail work? What music should go on the brand uh, work? If there's an audio logo, how should it be used? But first, the week's topics. A wrap of the six GFK radio ratings of the year, as e diaries are slowly introduced and the transition to the new radio's 360 system gets underway. A closer look at purpose-driven campaigns. Will we see an increasing uptake as brands have dipped their toes into the water with regards to vaccines? And... Advertising spend hits record highs in August, despite marketers scaling back on outdoor and continuing lockdowns. The sixth GFK Metro Survey of the Year dropped this morning. AM was the big winner last survey with lockdowns across Melbourne and Sydney. And that was largely the case again this time round. Nine radios, 2GB and 3AW came out on top in both Sydney and Melbourne, with Ben Fordham finding some form and Ross and Russell keeping up theirs. Cal, Emma, you were both reporting on the results this morning. Emma, could you start by giving some key takeaways from the Sydney market and also what ARN's Duncan Campbell had to say? Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest takeaway I saw from this book was Sydney's 2GB, uh, you know, and obviously with Melbourne as well, 3AW, uh, their ratings spike as well. Uh, I think the other biggest surprise, though, this book was Smooth FM's loss of 1.7 points in breakfast. They finished with a share of just 4.2%. Um, I did speak with ARN's National Content Director, Duncan Campbell. He said like last survey, Survey 6 was definitely a lockdown-driven swing back towards talkback stations. He was also surprised with Smooth FM's numbers. Uh, He did say that WS format he believes is stronger and that's why the numbers could have been affected for Nova's Smooth FM this time around. He also mentioned um, that he was the most impressed uh, this book with WSFM's Jonesy and Amanda, who actually finished third in FM Breakfast with an 8.8% share. And that was exactly the same as last survey. So they didn't move up or down this time round. 
Uh, and he did mention with Kiss FM's Kyle and Jackie O, uh, he was still really impressed with the numbers. Uh, I believe they dropped slightly, though, by 1.3 points to 10.8%. Uh, but Duncan said he thinks uh, Survey 6 was very much still a COVID-influenced book, that once school goes back at the end of the year and people start driving again, um, that the FM numbers will definitely go back to how they were pre-COVID times and that AM numbers will go back to where they were as well. Interesting. And Cal, you reported on Melbourne and Adelaide. Who came on top in those markets? Yeah, so in Melbourne, um, it was pretty much all about Russ and Russell at 3AW. Um, Emma mentioning just there that 3AW did improve their share, but and that was by a pretty hefty three percentage points, rising up to 18.2 with Russ and Russell improving their share also to 23.8, which was um, good for their best of the year and also kind of returning a little bit to some of those really big record highs that we saw last year. Again, Talkback was pretty strong in Melbourne. Um, the ABC was hanging around um, just just keeping 3AW in their sights with a 12% share. Sammy J losing a little bit of um, a little bit of ground on that pairing. Uh, it was a pretty big month for news down here in Melbourne um, with lockdowns and vaccines obviously dominating the headlines. We also had those uh, protests from the uh, tradies union and um, an earthquake to boot, which was which was pretty exciting. I spoke to Nine Radio's Greg Burns um, this morning in the aftermath of the survey, and uh, a funny little anecdote was he said that in the hour following that earthquake, um, the switchboard at 3AW received a whopping 30,000 phone calls. So I guess that um, gives you a little bit of insight. Um, commenting on his, uh, his kind of star pairing, Greg said that uh, he commented that, you know, it's still – relatively new partnership around a year by now they're still getting used to each other so um, I guess if those are the results that we're seeing then it'll be interesting to see what is to come when they do get to know a little a bit more about each other as we said last month Xander our um, former colleague mentioned that we are potentially going to see this trend of talkback stick around beyond the lockdowns in Melbourne as we did see towards the start of the year maybe a little bit more so than Sydney um and Greg, he did say that 3AW will continue to be a powerhouse for news. Um, another funny anecdote saying that uh, quite often in Victoria, people call 3AW before they even think to call the police. Uh, I'm not sure how much truth there is to that, but I would also advise those out there listening to um, call the police first if if there's something of interest. Um, elsewhere in the Melbourne market, today was Gold FM's 30th birthday. And um, they marked it with a pretty strong result, taking home the top spot for FM radio channels um, with a pretty decent uh, 10.9 share, as well as Christian O'Connell, the station's big ticket breakfast host, climbing again to a uh, a 9.4 share. Around the other commercial stations, it was a pretty good recovery for Chrissy Sam and Brownie. Um, who had dropped in successor books. Um, and in the drive, again, 3AW's Tom Elliott uh, delivered a pretty strong 15.3, followed by Raf Epstein on ABC at 12.6. Speaking about the other markets with Burns, he noted that Fordham has, um, in Sydney has a, has a wonderful feel for picking up the mood in, in, this, in the, the nation's largest city, reaffirming from last month as he delivered his best figures to date today. 2GB, as well as delivering pretty solid share figures, were up in Cume, and he also noted that the it's the best uh, station result under the new grading system, which came in in 2004. 
Um, he also said that expecting uh, they did expect that in lockdowns the audience would uh, go towards 2GB and 3AW, but just had to continue to show that they've got the product there. Um, you will have seen potentially yesterday Kyle Sanderland's uh, remarking that he has put a ban on the new uh, New South Wales Premier appearing on his show. Uh, due to his religious beliefs, and I did ask Greg that in our in our chat, and um, if we'd be seeing something similar on Two GB, and he he did say that that wouldn't be happening with a with a laugh. Um, it's the vibe. <laughs> yeah, so no comments from Greg on um, on the vibe of the new uh, the new premier up up in uh, up in Sydney. Um, an interesting note when I spoke to Greg last month was that he he did say he expected with the grand final rolling into Perth um, to see a little bit of a rise at 6PR over there, but unfortunately there wasn't. Uh, there was a little bit of a decline on those ratings as uh, the, the eastern uh, states continued to dominate headlines. And Tim, you've been watching from afar. Alas, we don't cover the Tassie radio market. Are there Wars any the key petty. trends? <laughs> yes. Are there any key trends or development that you've uh, picked up on in particular in this latest survey, bearing in mind the uh, slow introduction of e-diaries ahead of the full switch to uh, Radio 360 in 2022? Yeah, it is a bit of a pity they didn't move a bit faster on the e-diaries, which are and now I think this is the first survey that 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 has an increasing proportion, although they haven't haven't said just how many. So this survey sort of stretched from July to September, and I think it was back in July when they actually announced it. And of course, one of the reasons we've been talking about radio ratings this week and not last week is because lockdowns delayed the collection of the old paper diaries. So um, so that's been a factor. And you know, as as Emma and um, Callum have been saying, it is. Um, Definitely for Sydney and, and 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 Melbourne, the lockdown has had an influence. I wonder whether when we see the numbers being, particularly for some of the commercial music stations, being particularly disappointing in breakfast in Sydney and Melbourne, whether it is an effect of people's changing habits in the mornings. I know when you you drill into the kind of the cumulative numbers, which look at how many people kind of tune in over the week. Um, those numbers are down for the markets overall. So in Sydney, um, Cume at breakfast was down by about 167,000 people. So just less people listening in the market altogether. And and even further down, 264,000 in Melbourne at breakfast, which sort of suggests to me that if you were turning on the radio, perhaps you were just a little bit more purposeful. So you were tuning in for a bit of news and information, which may may suggest why they did well. Um but yeah, what a and what a weird survey for Nova Entertainment. You know, as 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 we've been saying, you know, really disappointing breakfast for Nova, particularly in Sydney. I mean, Fitzy and Whipper, and amusingly, my notes, my 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 autocorrect has changed it to Feisty and Whipper, which um is even better. But Fitzy and Whipper, they actually lost more than a third of their average audience. And Smooth lost about 30% in breakfast in terms of, you know, actual average listener numbers, which um, which is a big chunk. And I, I suspect it says far more about changing habits than it actually does about what was going on in those in, in, in those breakfast shows. Um, and then, yeah, still at this kind of, I don't know whether they know to kind of, you know, drown their sorrows or open the champagne, sort of a you know, Team Nova Entertainment, because still doing incredibly well in Brisbane, 
Um, you know, that's still very much Nova's town. Uh, Perth, Nova is back at number one overall. But then you look at um, 5AA and Nova in um, in Adelaide, both both Nova Entertainment um, uh, uh, shows in Breakfast and um, and Down Again. So I've, I, I don't think I've ever come across such a such a big mix. And then the one and only other thing that leapt out at me was Today FM. No real green shoots there at Breakfast yet. They're in danger of being over- overtaken by Sky Sports Radio. Their breakfast share now, 2.9 share for Today FM breakfast, up a fraction. And Sky Sports Radio, 2.7. That will be really embarrassing if they get overtaken there. Yes, uh, indeed. I can imagine the team at SEA keeping a close eye on that. Coming up next, are we about to see an increase in purpose-driven campaigns? This week's Mumbrella Cast is brought to you by Sesame. Being chased by the content beast? Get Sesame, the magic marketing platform that creates and shares branded content at scale in no time. Slaughter the content beast with Sesame now. Go to sesame.com. That's S E S I M I.com. In a feature published this morning, Callum explored a hot topic at the moment that being brands increasingly dipping their toes into purpose-driven marketing. It's obviously not the first time we have seen this, but this feature looked a bit closer at brands that don't necessarily have a direct interest in areas such as vaccines in this case, coming out and having a voice. Cal, can you give us a short intro into what the feature covered? So I decided to look at this for a few reasons, actually. Um, I wrote an article a couple of months ago on pride washing, looking at brands genuinely or potentially uh, rather insincerely engaging with Pride Month as more of a marketing tactic. Um, and also something arose in my uh, Mumbrella Cast interview with Squarespace's David Lee uh, last month where he spoke about um, judging a, a range of different creative awards shows over the past two years and seeing brands producing a lot more uh, purpose-driven work and also um, that work coming out um, potentially feeling a little bit less artificial as it previously had done. Um, Of course, we've seen a range of these vaccine ads uh, from different brands in recent months with Qantas, Woolies, Telstra, Virgin Australia, Amy, Tab, uh, to name a few, also the ABC, Nine, Uh, We've had campaigns from industries such as the live entertainment industries, a few creative ones, the ACA, the big four consulting firms, government bodies, of course, and then uh, more interesting ones um, such as this past weekend's Million Dollar Vax campaign, which um, was offering a pretty grand prize of a a million bucks um, to anyone double vaxxed in the six weeks following the 31st of October, as well as a bunch of daily prizes. Um, So that one in particular was interestingly uh, inspired by a campaign out in uh, the States, I believe in Ohio, which had 2.7 million adults sign up to it and also um, resulted in a rise in 33% vaccine uptake in the first week of that campaign. So looking more specifically at these campaigns, I wanted to see whether we'll see brands finding their voice a little bit more in the public forum in the coming years on social issues just um, beyond vaccines. Uh, With the the vaccine uptake nationally now beyond the 80% mark for the first dose, I think it's a pretty safe issue as far as uh, issues go to take a stand on. 
Um, but in our recent Mumbrella survey, I think 205 uh, responded with around 59% saying the brand should get involved in the Vax push, while 20% said it was a little bit more com- complicated than a simple yes or no answer. Um, so in particular, we had, we had of course, brands like Qantas and Virgin contributing to the, the Vax campaign push, and they've obviously got a little bit more of an interest because at the moment, you know, their product flying isn't really uh, off the ground. Um, excuse the pun there. That was a, an accident. <laughs> um, but then you've got other brands like the TAB, Telstra and Woolies where you could probably argue that um, their business is not really being affected um, by ongoing lockdowns. Rather, it's more just for the greater good. So I wanted to see whether or not uh, these these campaigns that they um, they produced really had much of an intent at heart. And you spoke to the creatives uh, behind the Telstra campaign. What did they have to say about the strategy behind it? Yeah, so looking more specifically at that Telstra campaign, which was, um, if you haven't seen it, very tongue-in-cheek, it was a skit um, Telstra returning to his partnership with comedian Mark Humphreys um, as the chief 5G investigator. Uh it, it it came off, and we had a we did a um, campaign review here on Mumbrella on it, and a, a couple of the creatives said in response to it, it summed it up pretty well by saying all it was really doing was maybe poking a bit of fun at those people on the fence, and probably wouldn't quite go so far to um, convince anyone to really go out there and get the vax. So I spoke with um, Oren Fixler, who's the head of content and social media at Telstra, just before we came on this um, podcast recording. Um, and as the, the, uh, the production was in-house, it was very much, you know, a brand driven piece of piece of content. Oren said that with such a big role within the country, Telstra has been really supportive and vocal on vaccine measures. And it's been pretty clear in its position on vaccines from the outset, that being very pro-vax. Um, and this has included starting with, um, giving employees a two to $300, uh, vaccine incentive, and down the road has turned out uh, in mandating vaccines for 8,000 of its frontline workers. Uh, He also said that quite early on they made the call to be quite pointed and hardline on the vaccine stance in order to move forward. Uh, And in in terms of the actual Mark Humphreys piece, he said this one in particular stemmed from constantly getting pulled into conversations on 5G being a um, telecommunications network. Uh, on Twitter and TikTok and other social media, you know, people having a bit of fun with the idea. So they wanted to get involved on the social aspect of that. And while taking their stance on vaccines, they wanted to um, generally le- uh, leverage that relationship with Humphreys and, you know, just have a bit of fun. He said that the piece wasn't really intended to be uh, Telstra's full story on vaccines. And they wanted to um, kind of bring themselves closer to those already with a vo- uh, pro-vaccine stance rather than um, changing anyone's minds. So um, I think in, in general, he said that Telstra are looking to have more of a voice in the future and are coming becoming increasingly confident with and vocal with that voice. And this voice is very progressive of sorts. So we've seen in the past brands like Deliveroo and Qantas um, and others taking a pretty strong stance on issues such as the uh, marriage equality referendum in 2017. So... I do think that we will see in future brands increasingly have a, have this voice and speak out and kind of use their position um, beyond just being a brand commercially. 
Tim, what's your take on it? Uh, should brands be getting involved in, in vaccines and, and more generally social issues, uh, particularly those that aren't necessarily connected to their core business? I think the key part of that question is that final part where uh, it's relevant to the business, then, hey, that purpose argument is really easy to make. So, of course, Qantas should be having a point of view around vaccinations for both staff and passengers because it's it's super relevant um and i suppose you know vaccination is the classic case where for so many brands it's relevant because you know everyone's in business and you know most of them have some sort of interaction you know servicing the public or whatever so that one feels quite easy to make a call on um i think where the kind of i think we'll always be having that wider purpose debate is where brands start taking a stand on social issues when they um, don't particularly need to, you know. So we, um, hey, look, it's, you know, you, you, you've, you've got the ancient case studies of things like, you know, Dove, real women taking a real kind of social stance and, you know, the, the supporters liked it and thought it was great. The opponents were, well, it's just really you know, cynical by this giant global behemoth that also does the really sexist ads from Lynx. So, um, so you know, how can it possibly be um, uh, meant sincerely? So I suppose that's the question is, can your brand actually pull it off in a good faith way? Um, I suspect not all brands can. And then it comes down to the CMO making a call on, um, will it be good or bad for brand health? Um, I don't think you can say in a blanket way, though, that all brands should automatically be involved in purpose marketing. Yes, it is a fine line. I know from my experience at Standard Chartered, um, two of the ones that we sort of tapped into was uh, animal trade, illegal animal trade and um, ship breaking and OH&S within that industry. And it was very, very scrutinised for that reason because if we're going to start making brand statements about those particular issues we had to have a very very strong leg to stand on yes i guess as a bank would you accept you know shipping companies as customers for instance yes and it comes down to all of that accountability again and making sure that your uh, your own organization has its uh, i's dotted and t's crossed coming up next Record SMI numbers in August as marketers are spending above 2019 levels. Advertising spend is continuing to rise beyond pre-pandemic levels as the Standard Media Index described this month's reporting figures as extraordinary. August figures showed marketing spend hit a record high, almost 27% more than the same month last year and 12% above 2019 levels, also surpassing 2018 levels by more than 4%. At the same time, the Outdoor Media Association has reported that the outdoor sector slowed as lockdowns took hold across New South Wales and Victoria. While revenue in the three months to September climbed 50% against the same period last year, it was still down almost 22% on the second quarter. Tim, can this momentum be maintained in your opinion or do you think that this is a calm before the storm? Oh, look, that is a really good question. And I, I, I wrote about the SMI data on Unmade earlier this week. And it was amazing how many people then sort of dropped me lines on on their opinions. 
Um, you know, one of the headlines from that is that opinions differ on what the outlook looks like. Certainly, if you were to take August alone, it was an amazing month. Um, and not just in terms of, hey, you know, it was a really good improvement on August from the year before, which was terrible, of course. Um, because it feels to me like the real baseline has to be 2019 before the pandemic started. And August was well up on that. So SMI were, 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 were calculating that media agency spend, and obviously that's not the whole market because there are direct clients, but it's a big part of the market. In August, 692 million, uh, August 2021. Now that was well up on the 548 million of 2020, but also up of all, on August 2019 as well. In fact, it, it, it you can go back more than five years and the overall spend has been better in every one. Now, the one major factor in all this is the Olympics, of course, because the money that would have gone into the Olympics in 2020 got thrown forward to 2021. Um, probably you saw a concentration of spend anyway. So a massive um, month for TV, 301 million spent just on TV. You know, last time there was anything close to that was 305 million back in August 2016 which was, of course, also the Olympics. So, um, so you know, that, that's, I guess, the temporary factor. Um, one person, um, after reading the data, was just was super sceptical. It can't be this good, was this person's argument. They sent me some data on, you know, one of the big accounting firms has been doing some modelling on um, expected number of companies going into administration, you know, in the wider economy, suggesting that there is still pain ahead. Um, but equally, um, uh, Steve Allen, who's now does analysis for um, Pearson Media, who I know we occasionally quote on the uh, on the Umbrella Cast, dropped me a line to say that they have had to do a big reforecast for what they've been telling their um, their customers because all of the signs are that advertisers are still planning to spend. So, you know, as Steve puts it, it's irrational and illogical. It doesn't seem to reflect what's going on in the economy, but it does reflect what marketers are doing. So there there does seem to be an expectation from some that we, we, we're going to see a bit of a recovery. You know, I don't, I don't think we'll go into the end of the calendar year and say we had a, a better year than last year. And I think we'll certainly not go into the... Um, you know, to that point and say it was better than 2019. So I I reckon it's going to be financial year 2023 before we can look back at FY 2019 and say that things are back on track. But it does feel like there's a there's a bit of bit of life in the market. Yeah, and it de- well definitely in some sectors, as you mentioned, especially more so than others. Um, and, you know, you quoted Steve there. And yes, uh, Steve is a very wise commentator on the media industry in Australia. We had a, uh, a lovely op-ed from him run earlier in the week. Um, is is it a case then, do we think that there's going to be in the future a, a drop um, in terms of where the money's being spent back into areas perhaps such as outdoor, which has struggled of late due to lockdowns and cinema, for example, which is in the same boat? Um, as we've seen in the UK, cinema has rebounded quite strongly, particularly off the back of the new James Bond. So once things start to reopen, is it a case of perhaps the marketing dollars will just shift 
from those that have been picking up extra at the moment to be more evenly spread or perhaps we'll see a, an overall growing of the advertising pie. Yeah, look, I suppose cinema was always one of the ones that was going to be absolutely fundamentally the worst hit just because if cinemas are closed your advertising revenue goes to zero which of course for big chunks of the last 18 months they they have been at least in parts of the country so and then of course that's also exacerbated by less blockbuster releases means less people going to movies even even in 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 states where they can do so it's probably worth remembering that of course proportionally cinema is a very small part of the mix um you know similarly to you know magazines and is another one where you know is is shrunk as a medium so much that you know it's barely it's barely possible to even read their number on the smi graph these days um outdoor you you you'd think there will be a return to growth um you know their outdoors best year was in August was August 2018, certainly for several years, where it pulled in 88 million um, in the in in the month. Now, a couple of factors going on there. We've got the move to Move 2.0, which will be kind of measuring digitized um, audiences, and also you've got the digitization effect. Just means that the outdoor companies can sell more inventory, and that is a wave that's still rolling. So. You know, once people are, are out, once they're commuting, once they're driving past the billboards, once they're flying and walking through the the airports, all of those factors are going to come back in outdoors, um, uh, sort of uh, interests, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, it won't you know this year and last year will be the low spot for outdoor, and I can, I, I you know, I can. I can see it beginning to recover quite quickly um, once the lockdowns come to an end. Next up, Damien will be chatting to Resonances, Ramesh Sathaya and Ralph Van Dyke about Mumbrella's new sonic identity. On Tuesday, Mumbrella released its new sonic identity in collaboration with Resonance an agency that describes itself as an alliance of audio exponents and academics. It was founded by Ralph Van Dyke and Ramesh Sathaya. The work was due to drop at Mumbrella 360 this year until the New South Wales COVID-19 Delta outbreak put pay to that. But instead, it has been released this week with the Mumbrella 360 Shorts video series and with the Mumbrella cast today. You'll be hearing it consistently from now on in our events, videos, podcasts, and pretty much wherever else we can sneak in some audio. I sat down virtually with Ralph and Ramesh to talk through the process and how brands today are approaching their own sonic identity. Well, thanks for joining me on the Mumbrella cast uh, today, Ramesh and Ralph. Great to have you here. I, I guess first things first, the most important thing, uh, can you tell me how Mumbrella was the best client that you've ever worked with at Resonance? No, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was straight into to the point. <laughs> No, uh, it, was, it was an ab- you were an absolute pleasure to deal with all, from start to finish. How's that? Yeah, the the check is in uh, the mail, Ralph. Uh, <laughs> appreciate that. But uh, on a, on a serious note, uh, for us, it was uh, an interesting process, one that we hadn't experienced before, uh, and we've really never taken sound as seriously as we should have. Um, were there any sort of surprises in the process for for either of you, or things that? Um, 
that you both, uh, I guess, experienced in, in working with Mumbrella that uh, that are interesting or noteworthy? Yeah, I mean, anything I, I would say just to start off with was, you know, because Mumbrella does so many things, you know, getting down to the essence of what Mumbrella was about was probably the most interesting challenge. You know, what's the personality? Uh, what are we trying to say about the brand? Because it has to do the audio logo or the sonic identity, actually, because it's more than just an audio logo, had to cover a lot of uses, you know. So besides podcast, conferences, you know, all these different uh, different assets that it needed to work for, which sort of have different uses uses so it needed to uh cover a bit of ground so i think one thing was finding the balance of all the elements and all the all the pillars of the brand uh and then just defining it down into something very simple and clear that made sense musically and the other aspect was i guess was because we are very close to this brand right your brand we uh interact with it every day and um you know, we've, we were around before Mumbrella and, and uh, have seen the, the, the evolution of it. So that was great. But it's also at, it's like added pressure because I'm going to be in the room when this is played at a Mumbrella 360. And, uh, you know, I, I've got to be proud of it. You know, so there was, and I've got to be, you know, like happy to, to share it. And I, I listen to the podcast. So I, I'll be reminded of it constantly. So there was like, I'm, I'm, I'm a uh, I'm a fan and I'm a <laughs> I'm an end user as well as someone who's you know working on the on the uh, on the on the brand asset as well. So there was there was that layer too, which was great, um, but there was always in the back of my mind. Yeah, like I said, for us it was a very new uh, thing to do from a content perspective. Again, we we hadn't taken audio very seriously, so looking at the way that resonance did things was was quite eye-opening to us in terms of the amount of time that you spent working with us understanding the brand getting a feel for our, our values and, and what we wanted to represent and then turning them into what the audience has just heard uh, at the start of the umbrella cast but um, for those who haven't necessarily experienced firsthand working uh, on their audio identity or their sonic identity. Can you explain uh, maybe a, a very basic version of what you do and, and how you do it and, and how you go from start to, to finish working with brands? Sure. Well, the uh, the starting point is that brands are needing this uh, these all these extra assets more today than they ever have been because uh, there are so many other platforms available and so many more listeners listening to different content and on-demand content. So it's a combination of um, the the audiences to audio are growing and will continue to grow. Technology is changing. So it allows people to co consume more of their content through their ears. And for the brands that don't ha have an audio asset or aren't able to exist in those audio uh, in that audio context, are going to be left behind. So, it's um, it, it's great when someone who you know a brand like yours who's commentating on the industry is also accepting that best practices have to be adhered to, and you, you know you've got to walk the walk. So, um, the from from our perspective, the, the the starting point is to, as Mesh said, to really help define 
what it is that you want to be represented as. Your, what's your tone of voice? What's your brand personality? And there are certain things that sound and music can do well and certain things that there's no point trying to load all of that uh, extra you know, um, part of the brief into something that is essentially just got to sound great and communicate one or two very simple kind of messages. So a lot of the time is spent really getting into your brand, the referencing process, as, as we'll probably talk about, you know, th that we do in the workshop. But we do an awful lot of thinking and experimenting and, and uh, sonic mood boarding before we get anywhere near execution and, and composition. Yeah, I was going to actually, the interesting thing, you know, I, I was just thinking about the process for you guys, and I think it's actually the case for most of the projects we work on. The the discovery and the workshopping and the thought process is actually significantly longer than the amount of time we spent on the music. Now, that might sound weird, but what we're doing is trying to, in our mind, be very clear about the purpose of the music. And once we know it, and we've particularly matched that to a style or a genre of music through the mood boarding, we can we can make it because we know it, we're very good at making music, and, and I believe hopefully good music, um, but but really it's that setting it up and really having a clear understanding of the mission of the music. And once we do it, we, we can make it in a, in, a, in, a, you know, in a couple of weeks' time. So there's probably, probably could be a month or so of thinking and, you know, a couple of weeks of making the music because it's really the thought part is, I think, is, is, is really sets sort of our process apart, I think. Yeah, you, you've mentioned some... I guess key terms there that, that people will be quite familiar with, like like mood boarding. Mm. Uh, people are quite familiar with that, uh, and mentioning you know joining the feelings and, and emotions to sound. I guess from from my perspective, and I've got a, a magazine journalism background, and we always used to say, "Hey, if you throw some red on the cover, you're guaranteed to increase your sales slightly because there's an emotional connection to the color red, and you see it on newsstands and." You know, statistically speaking, more people then go and, and buy that uh, that issue. Uh, that's not an issue for for Umbrella or most people anymore because they don't seem to buy uh, magazines from newsstands. But that's a completely different uh, situation. Uh, my question uh, on the audio side of things is: Look, we came into to these workshops and we we did a number of workshops uh, with, with the resonance team, saying things like Umbrella is all about trust. Um, it, it, it's about uh, breaking news. It's about leading the, the media and marketing agenda. And, and you guys went and turned that into a sound uh, or a, a piece of, of music, essentially. Are there, are there sounds that uh, are, are better associated with certain feelings and emotions that you automatically just go, you're trying to convey this, we should definitely go in, in this direction. Is that sort of how it works, like similar to the color thing? Well, yeah, I mean, there's def definitely styles of music that elicit different responses. And with it, and there's a reason for, for why. You know, a certain style of music could be associated with um, a period of you know, fashion or it could be a tempo. It could be a, um, a certain audience that, has always been drawn to that particular style of, of music. So there are lots of reasons uh, why a certain style of music can align with a, a brand and a brand personality. 
But then you've got to go a little deeper. The next layer is, okay, what is it about that style that that elicits that feeling? Is it the, are we talking beats per minute? Are we talking key? Are we talking the melody? So there's, there's the initial um, part of the sonic mood boarding where we're looking at different styles of music, and then we kind of dissect it from there. We go away and go, okay, well, what are the elements that we need to dial up or lean on um, to, to actually align it with the things that you as a brand want to be? Um, and some of the words that you used in, that, in those workshops were uh, professional, um, being opinionated, wanted to be a leader. Uh, hopefully I'm not revealing all your brand secrets here. But <laughs> there are certain words that we picked up that were associated with that. Like for professional, um, we went for mature. And that would mean whatever the music is, we're not going to be too flippant or too playful or too light. Uh, for leader, we took that as being sort of confident. And uh, there was some sounds and some um, there's a tone within the music that can express that confidence. And then for opinionated, we were looking at irreverent as a nice word to just add a little bit of the surprise and, and a component there that's going to capture that part of it. So already that's kind of three different um, emotions that we're trying to capture. And that was all distilled into one phrase, which we used as our North Star when, when, you know, when Mesh and the team were sort of working on the compositions and that was that tell it like it is phrase and so that was the kind of the the distilling process that we went through to get to the point where we could start composition that that really that that for me was the bingo moment and, I, and if i'm not mistaken that wasn't a pillar that you gave us per se i think it was something came out in conversation and this is what I love about the discussion because, you know, we ask questions and then a certain thing will come out from the discussion because, you know, a lot of brands have similar, can have similar pillars. Like a lot of brands may want to be optimistic and they want to be this, you know, they can be quite uh, uh, confident, optimistic or playful, those kind of things. So we're trying to find the subtle, interesting flavours to work with because, you know, you said before, are there certain music styles that go with certain emotions? Certainly is in in obvious ways, you know, happy and sad. Sure, we can get you happy and sad, but we're trying to find the edges and the colour that makes it unique. So for me, when I heard, heard Tell It Like It Is, that was an attitude and, and there are subtle connections with that attitude that I will feel in certain styles of music which are which are a little bit uh, there's a little bit more depth to it so it is a little that's where it is a bit more of an art than a science I think yeah that's a good point actually because you're right we didn't discover that until we started doing the workshops with you and and really kind of deep diving I know that's a cliche term but but still you know that's essentially what we did with you guys around our brand purpose and our and our values um for brands who are looking at uh, adjusting, uh, reviving, uh, updating their their sonic identity, and they're looking to work with with an agency like you guys, for example, um, what should they be thinking about prior to actually, you know, speaking uh, with you? Or is it a case of clear the mind and just jump into the, the first workshop, discovery workshop, and see what happens? Well, I guess the, the first 
part of that is we'll really make sure that uh, you need to do this. You need to change or you need to update um, because every dollar you spend in media is helping to establish and, and to be more familiar and to appear, uh, make it easier for the audience to know who's talking to them. So update, but don't throw out <laughs> all the heritage that's that's you know helped get you to where you are. And actually, it's pr- what we're finding at the moment is a lot of brands are actually delving back into their um, into into the history and into the into the archives to find what are some of the assets that we've had in the past that maybe we've stopped using that have still have meaning with our audience and how can we update those um so you know it's we we all get really close to this and we all think that oh man people are so sick of this thing and they we keep using it and yes because you're working on this brand day in day out maybe you feel like you're overexposed to it but the audience is exposed to so many different brands every day and really don't care. Mm. Um, so to make it as easy as possible for the audience to recognize you is is key. And then making sure that what they recognize you as, the meaning that you communicate in that sound, is moving the moving the dial. So it's actually saying something positive about you. Because in time, with enough exposure, that phrase or that melody or that voice will always become associated with the brand, but that's not enough. It actually has to say something about the brand. So it would have been really easy for us to come up with a phrase of music after our first meeting and go, well, this is, this sounds pretty nice. And you'll hear it and go, yeah, it does sound pretty nice, but it'll have zero meaning. So, uh, and it won't actually add the layer and reinforce what makes Mumbrella different. Um, we we were involved in the recent update for uh, uh, ComBank, and uh, so they had a an audio logo which was mesh. Remind me how many notes it was? It was it was probably seven seven notes. I, so think, I think it was, it was seven original. originally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, what drove the the need for change was you know the bank itself was going through a, uh, a, a like a re a refreshing of the brand, and they had a different look. And wanted to update how they how they sounded as well, and it was tempting then to start again. But, you know, it, it was really important that they didn't throw away all that heritage that they'd built up over the years, right? Yeah, and we we, so, sort of, we, yeah. we put our hand up and said, "Look, I, I, we know you, there are reasons why you want to ha- refresh, but." There's a there's a lot of equity in, in in the ComBank audio logo. Like you know, I had a lot of other brands saying to me, "We want a ComBank melody," and I was like, "Well, and you're, you want to change it." So, the, the, I think the great result we had was we essentially we shortened it and we changed one note, which just gave us a little, a little bit of a different attitude to it. Uh, so there was a familiarity, but it also felt new. Yeah, look, it's it's an interesting uh, sort of segue into one of the things that I did want to bring to the audience's uh, attention as well, which was that notion of Easter eggs, which you guys kind of talked to us about in, in one of the sort of middle workshops that that we were doing um, by placing some some pretty cool and unique things into our our sonic identity, which um, we didn't really think about, and we didn't really, I guess think too much about the, the meaning of those as well. But when you explained it, it, it was pretty cool. Can you give us a, 
a bit more of an idea, I guess, of, of the the idea of Easter eggs in uh, in the audio that that we're listening to from brands. Sure. Um, well, I'll kick off, Mesh, and you jump mm. in. Uh, but there were kind of two different um, sort of lead instruments, if you like, or lead kind of uh, uh, sonic territories for us. There was using the M, which is very distinctive and very synonymous with Mumbrella, um, and seeing if there was a way in, in audio that we can make that feel like thinking. You know, the the way people muse when they're thinking is a hmm, hmm. Mm, there's, there's a sound there that is associated with um, uh, processing and, and thought. So we thought that there was some nice area, nice territory there. And then we also had this other territory, which was um, telling a story in sound and finding different ways of using sound design to actually add a layer of uh, extra meaning to the, to, the, to the audio logo and to the, to the brand anthem. So, uh, well, why don't we start by playing the audio logo first, and then what we'll do is dissect it and tell you what some of the layers are. So here's the audio logo in its full state. So what you may not have realized was the first sound that you hear is actually crowd sound from Mumbrella 360. So we've taken samples of the audience and that represents the people who are listening right now. And they have also contributed to actually, you know, your brand. Um, so that was a nice way of bringing in the, the, you know, the reason that you exist is for the audience that are invested in media and marketing in, in Australia. So they feature there. The next sound is the keyboard. Uh, and that has got a nice percussive uh, sense to it and it's a very distinctive sound and you've always been an electronic publication you've never been you know a, a, a printed there's never been a printed version of Mumbrella so that seemed relevant and it gave us a nice distinctive little sonic element to it and then you've got the umbrella sound which is you know a, 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 an asset that you have as a brand and that brings it all together. So you've got the audience and you've got the, the, the literal sound of the content you create and all it coming together with this umbrella sound. And then the final part of it is coming into the M's, the, the, mm, the, the musing sound, which gives it that human element and links us back to the sort of the thinking. <laughs> I'm going to be listening to uh, Sonic Identities of brands a lot closer now after all of that. I, I was fascinated when you guys came up with the the umbrella sound idea, which, which I thought was really cool. But um, look, I, I'd like to sort of moving uh, away a little bit from the umbrella work, but but talking about uh, Sonic Identity, but in relation to how how brands use and how brands should be thinking about it. We talk a lot about brand refreshes um, and we talk a lot about visual identity. I mean, it's something that in our industry is always front and center, uh, but audio uh, arguably not so much. How often should brands be, if not refreshing, but at least thinking about the, you know, their, uh, their audio and, and what they should be doing with it and whether it indeed need, needs a refresh? Well, I mean, whether it's even a refresh, but like think about the idea of look at the detail that goes into the visual identity and look at the visual, the brand book, and it comes down to, I mean, you know, obviously 
absolute details about fonts, font sizes, millimeters, how far you know the uh, the words are from the main logo. All these details about the lockups, the potential uses, the different colors. How many brands have, have Sonic guidelines? You know, and it's 50, you know it's a huge part of the the way the brand is portrayed. Um, uh, like, so what music goes on the on the retail work? What music should go on the brand? Work. If there's an audio logo, how should it be used? Like, should there be should it be used with voiceover on top? Should it always be separated? And it doesn't have to be restrictive. That that sounds like it could be restrictive, but the, the you know the Sonic guidelines for a brand might say our brand is a curator brand and we're all about taste making and we use different music on everything because we you know we're not we're not we're not we're not bunnings uh we want to be known for 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 being a place where cool music is found or cool culture is associated with so you know your brand book might say that we only use or your, sorry your sonic guidelines might say we only use licensed music but there might there might be some guiding principles to what sort of licensed music you use and the, and what's the reason for using it what sort of personality are you t- trying to portray with your licensed music so uh look it, it may it may mean that it's about having a whole a whole lot of rules and, and thought in that way but it also might mean having flexibility but having a framework behind it so look i think it's to me it's a no-brainer that a, the brand should be thinking about it in in, in this way I just want to end on uh, technology as well because that's a, a massive thing for the media and marketing industry at the moment. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time, for example, uh, discussing uh, streaming video on demand and, and how uh, audiences consume that across which devices and where and, and when. And uh, it, it occurs to me that when we talk about audio, you know, the way that we can consume audio has changed substantially in a very short amount of time, whether you're considering, uh, you know, Bluetooth headphones, or whether you're looking at consumption on a, a smartphone as opposed to an MP3 player or, or, or before looking at CD players, whether you're watching TV and consuming that audio through the speakers on your TV or through a, a hi-fi stereo or something like that. There are just so many variables in the way that uh, consumers can hear audio, experience audio, and, and as a result, experience a brand's audio. So, you know, Ralph, how do you how do you think that's changed the way that you work and the way that you work with brands as well? Well, I mean, it's it's the same with advertising. To be honest, we have to do many more mixes of everything now because of the different ways people consume, you know, a TV ad or a video or a movie. Uh, as well as a radio ad or you know audio ad, there are multiple devices, and we have to consider that when we're when we're executing the the mix. Um, the fact that people are listening in headphones gives us all sorts of opportunities to actually really you know make it a fully immersive experience. Um, so there's those considerations as well. W- what we have to do is make is make sure that the end product, if in in terms of audio branding. Um, will sound great no matter what you listen to it on and will still be identifiable. It'll sound better with headphones, but you still need to be able to play it through a stadium speaker system and for everyone to go, I know who, I know who that is and it still sounds pretty good. So we're, we're having to you know, cater for that. But I guess the main consideration is that there, is, there are so many more ways to consume audio and if you, if you don't have those assets, it, I guess it comes to that. An original point: If you don't have the asset in the first place, then 
you're either going to be reinventing yourself in audio every time you run a campaign or you're going to be completely silent um, and neither of which is going to sort of build the brand. But to, to have that consistency uh, and for it to be flexible enough to adapt to the different contexts and the different ways you're using it is is kind of more important than the you know a, adapting it to the technology that that that'll happen and that needs to be done you know uh, during the execution process but just having it is already a massive step for a lot of brands look it's been a, an absolutely uh, eye opening experience as i said at the start uh, or ear opening experience perhaps i should say there's a terrible <laughs> terrible dad joke um, <laughs> for everyone at mumbrella that, that that's worked on this with resonance to to come to the uh, the, the the final uh, audio execution, which uh, I hope the audience uh, appreciates. Uh, although we got some great feedback on on the previous Mumbrella Cast introduction, I have a feeling that this one might go down j- just a little bit better. But um, uh, thank you uh, to to you, Ramesh, and, and to you, Ralph, as well for the work you've you've done uh, with Mumbrella as well. And um, you know, it's great to have you on the podcast to, to talk about that in a little bit more detail. Uh, Absolute pleasure. pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And that's it for this week. Thank you again to our sponsor, Sesame, and to the team for joining me. Thanks, Liv. Thanks, Liv. Thank you. Thanks, Liv.